I kept at it morning, noon, and night for five days. And by the sixth day, that hole was as dark and deep as my hatred for Dad's God. Well, you finished it all right. I bet you didn't pray once the whole time, did you? Nope. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. This is a movie episode, and we are talking about our horror movie. Because last week was fantasy, crawl. This week will be horror, and next week will be sci-fi. Fantasy, horror, sci-fi. And our horror movie this week is Frailty. All right. Yeah, our horror... Uh, Hold on. Mm, No. mm. There we go. Okay. Our horror episode this week is about the 2001 classic, Frailty, starring... Bill Paxton? Bill Paxton. Matthew McConaughey? I think we should have a moment of silence for Bill Paxton. Thank you, friends. He's dearly missed. I love Bill Paxton. Is he the best actor who's ever acted ever? No, but he's fucking Bill Paxton, and you love him for it. And every time you see him in anything, you're like, oh, hi, Bill. It's like Tom Hanks. Has Tom Hanks ever played a different character? Not really. Not since Big. No. No. He's the same. Uh, Maybe in A Man Called Otto. I haven't seen that one yet. But uh, but you love him because he's Tom Hanks. And you're like, oh, hi, Tom. This is going to be a good movie. You know, it's the same with Bill Paxton. He's in this. Matthew McConaughey is in this. And it's the most subdued Matthew McConaughey, like, ever. And also Powers Booth, which is right up there with, um, is it Rip Torn? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, great name, right? You had to be an actor. Like, I'm sorry, your name is Powers. What are you going to be? <laughs> I wonder if he was given that name by his parents, or if he changed his name later. I don't know. That'd be something interesting to look up. But before we get any further, hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. I love Frailty. It's one of my favorite psychological horror movies, but I don't think I have watched this since we had kids. No, it's and been a while. This movie hits different when you have children. Yes. And you are watching the dad and how he's interacting with his kids. I, yeah. I remember. There's a lot of preferential treatment. Well, I remember this movie being very good, but I don't remember this movie being as brutal as it was when we watched well, it this time. Yeah, I mean, he definitely prefers, not prefers, but it's one of those things where you have one child. Like, he knows he's got Adam. Adam Adam Bill, is on board. Adam's on board, and Fenton isn't. And so he's putting a lot of effort into getting Fenton on board, but poor Adam, who's just already on board, sitting there with his life preserver on, just mm-hmm. happily waiting to be the center of attention and not getting it. And that's hard to watch. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Indeed. 
And it's hard to watch among a host of other horrifically hard to watch things. And here's a good point. If you have not seen this movie and you're listening to this podcast because you want to find out if you want to watch this movie, go watch the movie first. You do not want this movie spoiled. Even I didn't want this movie spoiled. The experience of watching this movie is entirely different if you know the ending. So go and watch it right now. Pause what you're doing. Find it wherever you can find it. Watch it. And then come back and listen. Because the ending, I can't even explain any part of it. It will give it away. But it is what makes this movie. Yep. And I was, Bill Paxton is one of the producers or did, directors. I thought he, did he write it too? Or did he just direct it? I think he just directed it. Okay. And he even made the point of saying that this movie is designed for multiple viewings. You're supposed to watch it the first time through and just experience it. And then you watch it the second time through and you see all of the little Easter eggs that are in it that lead you to the ending. But you in no way want to know how it ends when you watch it the first time. Right. Right. Because, all right, everybody who hasn't watched it is left. So we can go ahead and just talk about it. But the twist ending on this is perfect. It's what makes the movie. Right. One of the best twist endings. Yeah. If we had kept up the Bill Paxton is crazy and Fenton is the only one not taken in by his psychosis all the way through to the end. This is a standard bad parent horror movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But the twist at the end is like, oh my fucking God. Seriously. Right. Like the, the misdirection of Matthew McConaughey's character telling the story from his brother's point of view. And then you find out, oh no. Swapped it. Right. Yeah. It's so good. I keep wanting to say Chef's Kiss, but we just did that Forever Night episode where we mocked Chef's Kiss the whole way through it. So I'm just, I'm, I'm holding it in, honey. I'm holding it in. Okay. Um, but it is, it's so perfectly done, and you don't see it coming the right. first time you watch it. Right, at and then all. you, and then you get the proof that there is some kind of force intervening yeah. on his behalf because. All of the videotapes are corrupted. Yeah. Um, that where you could because see his face. God literally did protect him. Right. As he had faith that he would, and he did. And I guess they were originally going to call this movie God's Hand. That's not a bad name. I mean, it's it, not. It's a little clickbaity. But. It's diff- I wouldn't have. I'd have been like, what? Uh, I don't know. Probably the hardest part of this movie for me is the religious aspect. Mm-hmm. Um. Not because it's bad, but just because there's a lot of baggage that comes with their repeated use of God. And it makes it a little difficult for me to view it. But I understand how important it is in the context of what we're watching. Um, Because we start the movie out at an FBI field office. And we're going to meet Agent Wesley Doyle, who's Powers Booth. And I guess one of the main criticisms of this movie is that this is not a realistic FBI field office. There's like two people there. I mean, this... Well, it's really late at night. It's really late at night. And this movie was filmed pre-9-11. So it's filmed pre-9-11. It's released directly after 9-11. So an FBI field office pre-9-11 and post-9-11, very different. Way different. Way different. Just like going to a restaurant pre-COVID 
and after COVID, different experiences. And this movie is really an elevator movie. We have um, three. Very limited cast. Very small cast. Very limited sets. Very, yeah, and every, so everything had to be absolutely nailed, and it absolutely is. But we go to this field office, and we meet Agent Wesley Doyle, and there is a guy, another FBI agent, and he's, he's sitting out in, like, the office area. And yep. when uh, Agent Doyle comes in, he says, there's a guy waiting for you in your office. He says he knows who the God's Hand killer is. And there's a very deliberate wall of pictures in the FBI agent's office, in Agent Doyle's office. And it is, like, murder scene photos. Yep. Because we don't really spell it out. But there's a serial killer, an active serial killer, called the God's Hand Serial Killer. And they're investigating the case. But they don't have any leads. And so when this guy shows up and says, I know who the God's Hand Killer is, it's worth taking a moment and listening to what he has to say. Even though, as Agent Doyle says, nobody comes in and just tells you who the bad guy is. Right, in a case like this. In a case like this. And this guy is Fenton Meeks, Matthew McConaughey. Right. He introduces himself as Fenton Meeks. Yeah, Fenton, which is kind of a cool. Fenton Meeks isn't such an interesting name. Like, I like the names they use because it's, I don't know how to describe this. It's like unusual, but it doesn't feel, I don't know how to put that. But I like Fenton Meeks. It's a cool name. It's memorable. Yeah. That's what I'm going for. It's not out there, but it's memorable. And he tells, well, first he asks him about the picture on his desk. He's like, oh, who's that in the picture on your desk? And Agent Doyle's like, oh, that's my mom. You know, she was murdered like a day or two after that photo was taken. So it's the only photo I have of her. And Benton's like, well, you know, I was in here for a while. So I was looking at it because I don't want to look at the wall over there with all the crime scene photos on it. And he says, well, you know, I know who the God's Hand killer is. It's my brother, Adam. And so he immediately just launches into, my brother was the God's Hand killer. I know you found the first. Well, he's like, why should I believe you? Oh. So then he he explains a little more. Yeah. And he says, you know, my, you guys found the first body, but you didn't find any more, did you? And I know where they are. They're in this rose garden in Thurman, Texas. Behind our old house. Behind our old house, which is about 200 miles from. And my brother committed suicide, and he asked me to get him and bury him in the Rose Garden. And I did. And now It it was a promise that we made when we were kids. Yeah, and now that I've gotten him and I've buried him in the Rose Garden, I'm here to tell you that he was the bad guy. Because I realized he was the God's hand killer, and I'm here to tell you about it. And so he calls, Agent Doyle calls the sheriff in Thurman. To confirm it, because he stole an ambulance, and the stolen ambulance is just outside the FBI field office. And the woman on the phones at the sheriff's office is like, oh, that Fenton, he's such a he's such a funny guy. He stole his brother's body and an ambulance. You just tell him we won't hold it against him as long as he brings it all back. Yeah. And he's like, gotta love small towns. Yeah, and the sheriff's not there. Right, sheriff's is out. Be- sheriff's so out. So it's just the... I don't know. Um, deputy? Woman answering the phones. Is she the deputy? I don't know what her position is, like, officially in the police department. But yeah, she's not wearing a uniform of any kind. But she's clearly the, like, secretary. Right. The the operator. 
however you want to call that. Office manager. Office manager of the sheriff's office. And now that we have Fenton and we have Doyle's attention, Fenton launches into his story, which half of this movie takes place in 1979 and half of this movie takes place in the present day. Uh, present day at the time of the filming of the movie, right. which is 22 years ago now. Right. Uh, but it's Fenton and Adam, and they really have an idealistic life. They have small-town American, young boy life. We walk everywhere we want to go. We can go see movies. It's idealistic, except their mom's dead. Right. And when I was reading up on it, some of the synopsis said their mother had been murdered and her killer had never been caught. Oh, but we never talk about it in the movie. And I don't remember them saying that. Maybe it's at the beginning. We just know that Adam is the youngest, and his their mother was killed. Either she died in childbirth, but she's gone. And we only have Daddy, and that's right. Bill Paxton. He has no other name. He's just Father Meeks. We never learn his first name at all. And he's a mechanic, and he works like 20, 25 minutes away. Yep. And so they go to school, they come home, and Fenton is really responsible for taking care of Adam, especially when the dad's at work. Right, and he even makes dinner for the family. So that when Father Meeks comes home, yeah, and they so they can all eat together. Yeah, we spend a short period of time setting up this like Mayberry. Right. He's, here's the rhythms of their life. Yeah, this kind of yeah Mayberry. You know, we we eat dinner together, we drink tea, we watch TV, we go see the movie. There's only two movies showing, and we go see them and whatever. Which these movies are probably meant to date. The, the time period for us because they're yeah. going to go see meatballs. Fact checking in progress. <laughs> Fact checking in progress. Because I have this vision of meatballs. Oh, you, it, yeah. So it's a 1979 movie. Nope, it's not. Lighthearted, amusing, and quirky. It's got Bill Murray in it, though. Hmm. Anyway. Okay, so that's that why Adam would have wanted to see it. It was a kid's movie. Yeah, it's like a fun summer campy right. movie. Um, and they want to, he wants to go see it, but that's just to give us a date. We don't ever discuss it again. But they're getting ready to go to sleep. They fall asleep. He's like, oh, life is so good. This is so wonderful. And then dad comes in and wakes them both up because he's had a, a vision. God, vis he was visited by an angel. And the angel told him that the end times are here and demons are loose on the earth. And the battle has already begun, and they have been called to be God's hands and destroy demons. And so here's where the name God's hands come from, yeah. comes from. I just wanted to let you guys know that. Go ahead and go back to sleep. We'll talk about it more in the morning. Good night, everybody. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam's like, oh, okay, cool. And Fenton's like, what the actual fuck? What just happened? <laughs> Dad? Dad, are you okay? Or, or he... Uh, at, at one point, he says, I think you're not right in the head. Yeah. He's like, uh, well, what just happened? Because Adam's younger, significantly younger right. than Fenton. And for our perspective right now, Fenton is our narrator. Right. So Fenton is the skeptic. He's like, you had a, you, you had a vision? And the dad's like, yep, God told me. We're going to go. We're, we're been tasked to destroy demons. And in the morning, over breakfast... They discuss it a little bit more before they go to school. And he's like, yeah, you know, God told me he was going to send me three holy weapons. 
And once I have those, we'll be ready to start destroying demons. And Adam's like, I'm so stoked. Yes, we get to be, you know. Superheroes. Superheroes. Agents for for the forces of good. Right. And Fenton's like, oh, holy shit. Fenton's, what is he, like 10 at this point? He's He's older. He's old enough to know that. That's not how the world works. Yeah, that this is uh, this is a wild and mentally uh, unstable behavior. And when Dad picks them up, so first he gets the three weapons, and that is Otis the axe, which I guess they put the name on there. Right, Bill Paxton specifically required that the axe have a name on it. I don't know if he picked the name or somebody else. Well, did. supposedly, like. He did a commentary for this movie, which I'd love to rewatch it with the Bill Paxton's commentary. But he said that he was trying to give money to a homeless, someone experiencing homelessness, and they didn't want it. And he said, well, how about I pay you for the use of your name? And the guy's name was Otis. And Uh, so he put Otis on this axe because he wanted the axe to be a character in and of itself. Right. And uh, it is. It's effective. And They even frame the shots where a lot of times when he's holding the axe... He's holding it off to the side. Yeah. So that you can see, and you can see Otis is clearly yes, you carved You can always see it. Otis carved on the handle in a position in the frame that another character would be standing. Right. And it's why, but he's driving along and he looks to the side. And so much of these scenes with dad where when on first viewing, you're seeing it as his continued mental spiral down into whatever psychosis he right. is spiraling into. He looks over and he sees a barn and there's a shaft of sunlight and it's illuminating the barn. Yep. And when he goes in the barn, that sunlight is on a chopping block and it has an ax and some old dirty gloves. And those are the first two divine weapons is this Otis ax and these two dirty gloves. And if they had chosen anything else, if they had given this to us as actual divine weapons, a shiny new axe or whatever, right. you 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 clues you into the fact that this is maybe not, maybe this is actually real. Right. But when we get but these, this lo- this looks and feels like oh, some farmer just left their axe and their work gloves there. Yeah, and there just happened to be a break in the clouds and it illuminated this barn while he was driving by. But those are the first two. And then later he comes home and he's like, look, and he opens up. And it's just a section of threaded pipe. Yeah. And he's like, that's it. We have all of our weapons. So they have a lead pipe, a pair of gloves and an ax. Otis the ax. And that is their divine weapons. But they can't do anything yet because God's going to give them a list. And the scene where, the angel visits the Bill Paxton. Yeah. I thought it was really cool. Oh, it's this is another one where they are really hammering home the idea that this might be all in his head because he's underneath this car getting ready to fix something. And all of a sudden, the parts of the car split and open up into and this cathedral. And yeah. yeah, into into then, this church. Then there's a flying angel with this flaming sword, and then it pauses and cuts back, so that you can see Bill Paxton is just under this car and just staring up. Yeah, and people are walking by, and there's a voice over the intercom, and everything is copacetic, except Bill Paxton is having this divine vision underneath this car, 
And this is one of those moments in the movie where it's very specifically, they are like, guys, this this guy's having a mental breakdown. Yeah, he's having a mental breakdown and he's dragging his children along with him. Yeah. And you are left in that feeling for the majority of the movie. Up until like 98%. Yeah. yeah. You are not sure until the very, very, very end whether this is just a man who has lost he's he's lost it he's lost hit the threads of reality and his poor children because they have no other parent are forced to fall with him right and he gets the list and he slides out from under the car pulls out his little notepad and jots down the list and that's it they're ready to go to work and i guess in screenings of this movie this very first part where he kidnaps a woman and his children come home for school, and he's like, guys, I got the first one. Right, and he takes them out to the shed, and there's this woman. Is bound. she a nurse? Yeah, well, she's a, like a waitress. She's okay, like she's a waitress wait. uniform. And she's bound, and she's been crying, so her mascara's run all over her face. Yep. And he's like, that's a demon. And I caught her. And Adam's like, sweet, yes. Like, we're finally going to get to go to work. And Adam is like, oh, shit, this is actually happening. Like, this is really happening. Yeah. I, I think it. he kept thinking, well, at some point this is going to fall apart and he's going to realize. Right. At some okay. point he's not going to be able to find, like he made up seven names. Yeah. He's not going to be able to find anybody nearby that has that name and he's right. going to realize maybe this isn't real. But no, he finds a woman like he, I don't think for this woman, I don't think he even has to like look her up anywhere. He no, just, he knew where to he go. He just goes off driving. Yeah. And he finds a woman with the same name. Well, he knew it was time and he knew where to go. So right. God and told he had him no trouble go finding now. it. Yeah. And he yeah. had no trouble finding her. Although and, later he's looking up one of the names in the phone book. Yeah. But uh, anyway, a lot of people left, like got up and left the theater. Oh, in the shed scene with the woman? Yeah. Because we are still in that, this. I mean, this is a brutal movie. If Bill Paxton is actually just in a, in a psychotic state and he is forcing his children to witness him killing innocent people, this is a fucked up movie. Right, because he chops them into pieces and puts them in trash bags. Yeah, and then has his kids help him bury them. Yeah. Yeah. And they, But they have to dump out the parts. They can't keep right. it compartmentalized the in the plastic bags. Because gave them specific instructions about how to bury people. Yeah. So he takes off his glove because he realizes that the thing with the gloves is when, he, when they touch a demon, it reveals them for who they truly are. Right. So you can't touch them until you're ready because once you do, right. you and can't see the, the person. And I think the angel originally states that touching them will reveal their yes. true nature. And then he's like, what are the gloves for? Oh, the gloves are so I don't have to touch them until I'm ready. Right. And so he takes the glove off and he touches the woman. And, and they just, both have like a seizure. Yeah, but we don't see anything. We don't see we anything. We just see Bill Paxton having this like moment where something is happening. And then he's like, oh my God, she really is a demon. And then he picks up the axe and chops her into tiny little pieces and they bury her in the rose garden. And then we go back to present day because this is a story that Benton is telling to Agent Doyle. And Agent Doyle is like, I'm Agent sorry. Doyle is what? like, he has Agent Doyle's full attention now. Yeah. He's like, wow, that's a really wild story. And he's like, yeah, well, 
um, if you want to come to Thurman, I think that my brother buried all these people in the Rose Garden too, and that's where all the bodies are, and I can show them to Well, you. he never says that Fenton's bodies are buried in the Rose it. Garden. He right. He, he says there are bodies. The bodies are there. Yeah. But he never explicitly states. he. I think he... Uh, he kind of treads this very careful line of not lying because yeah. he's a good person right? who's doing good things in the world and lying is a bad thing. Right. So the, in his mind, I think the only real deception that's going on is he's, he's saying that he is Fenton. Yeah. And he's talking about everything from Fenton's perspective and he's telling Fenton's story as he understands it. Right. But it's the real story. But it's the real, everything he says is true. Yeah. He's just changed the reference point. Right. And so, yeah, he's just like, uh, Fenton is buried in the Rose Garden. Which is true. With, with the other bodies. Yeah, with the bodies, which are um, lots of other bodies. Yeah, but th at this point, uh, Powers Booth, Agent Doyle, is like, um, all right, well, let's go. Let's go to Thurman. Let's go find those bodies that are in the Rose Garden. And if you watch, he never touches Powers. He never touches Agent oh, yeah. Doyle. Yeah. Uh, Matthew McConaughey's character is always very careful to either dodge out of the way when he tries to, like, pat him on the shoulder or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They ne they don't touch in any right. part during this. There's a part where he has a, like, a uh, he's trying to hand him something. Well, yeah. He he's holding the picture of Booth. Um, uh, Agent Doyle's mother. Yeah, and he reaches out for it, and um, and Meeks hands him two handed. Yeah, the picture, so that he doesn't have to like shake his hand or anything right. as part of the introduction. Right, and he actually cuffs Fenton, or he hands Fenton the handcuffs, and Fenton cuffs himself, and that's his only. It's his his stipulation for them getting into this police car together. And then he puts him in the back behind the cage yep. as a way of protecting him. And then a lot of our story, a lot of our exposition from here on out is told in this car and they aren't actually in a car. This is all lighting uh, and a stage. Right. And the fact that they were able to get the like headlights panning up as they pass and all right, and like you you have a shot from the front looking through the back window and you can see headlights off to the side yeah coming up behind them and passing them like yeah. a car and this going is faster than them yeah entirely lighting tricks and there's rain rain there's going rain, vertically down the, the cars shifting side to side a little bit i love practical effects and this like cinema magic where you have this group of people who are entirely invisible and their entire purpose is to make us believe that these two people are in a car when they're not actually in a car. Yeah. And they are so effective at it and it's so well done that it becomes invisible. You don't even think, are they really in a car? Are they not in a car? That's really weird. You're just in it. You totally believe it mm -hmm. the whole time. But once he gets him handcuffed and he gets him in the car, we go back. We go back to another flashback. Because that was our first victim, but now they're going to get their second victim. And so as a way of making sure that it's easy for them to get their victims, the dad gets a van. 
like a Chevy van. He's yeah, they like, get the kids get home from school and yeah. there's a van outside. He's like, oh, nice oh, van, Dad. Whose van is that? Yeah. Oh, that's ours. <laughs> Aren't you so excited? Let's go for a drive. We got work to do. And so they go and they find this second victim and he's going into a, he's going into like a grocery store. Yeah. And they're going to wait for him to come out and then they're going to get him. And so Daddy Meeks, pull, he picks up a book and starts reading it. And the book is Holy Visions. <laughs> and uh, Fenton's like, well, isn't somebody going to see us? Isn't somebody going to no, like God report us? And he's like, no, us. God will blind all of the witnesses. And this is our first introduction to the idea that they are. Because, They're under divine protection. Yeah, because they are doing what God has asked them to do, because they are God's hands. They have God's complete protection. And honestly, they wouldn't need much of it in the 1970s, especially since they're picking people from other cities that they have no connection to, killing them back in Thurman and then burying them there. Literally, unless somebody found the body, there'd be nothing to connect them to it at all. Right. Uh, Because it's 1979. But, so God's work has gotten harder over the years, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) um, They are able to get this guy, because Fenton is pretending that his dog is under this guy's car. Right, to bait him into kneeling down. Yeah, kneeling down, and then Daddy Meeks hits him with the lead pipe. And they take him back, and we do the same shtick. We grab his arm, reveal him for what he truly is, and then they... Chop. Chop him up. Uh, We don't get the full chop this time. We just imply that it happens... And Fenton is less and less and less willing to just participate participate, and give his dad grace. And he is starting to feel like if he doesn't say something, he's complicit in these murders. But his dad tells him, if you try to tell anybody, someone will die. The angel told me that. So you have to keep it secret because if we tell anybody... We're going to have to kill somebody. And he's like, what do you mean? You you were already killing people. What's one more? He's like, no. And he's I've, like, no, I'm destroying, I'm destroying demons. demons. Yeah, I haven't, I've never killed anyone in my life. I've never committed murder. I'm not murdering people. I'm destroying demons. And Fenton is like, oh my God. <laughs> I can't. Well, I mean, from a kid's perspective, how horrifying is this? Right. I mean, you're. When you are a parent, you are your kid's entire world. You are the moral compass that sets their moral compass. I mean, to a certain extent, kids have their own personality and their own, like, they're in, they're sovereign individuals um, from the moment they they arrive in the world. But the job of training them how to be people around other people really falls to you. And for a parent to engage their children in this kind of behavior is extremely difficult to watch, especially since we are left in such doubt. And Fenton is really our only, at this point, our only believable narrator because Adam is completely on board. Daddy makes us completely on board. Fenton is the only one who's like, this is not right. This is not right. Right. What is happening right now? You are delusional. This is going against everything like you've taught me so far. Yeah. Yes. I go to church every Sunday and they tell me that killing is wrong. And then I come home and dad and I go kidnap a demon, bring it home and kill it. Oh, sorry. Destroy Destroy it. it. Uh, What? So this is this. It gets increasingly difficult over time because you can see that Fenton is is wrestling with what he needs to do. 
And we hear from Daddy that the angel has visited him, and he told him something about Fenton that he didn't want to believe. And so something has to happen to get Fenton to start believing in what is happening. And that something is digging a hole. Digging a basement for the shed. Digging a basement. And he says, you got to dig it 15 feet this way, 15 feet that way, this many feet deep. Go ahead. Should form a perfect square. Yep. And I want you to pray the entire time. And Fenton's like, fuck you. I'm not going to pray even once. And so he digs for five days. And he never prays once. And Bill Paxton carries this whole thing as every interaction, he is acting like extremely kind and gracious toward Fenton, except for the... But you got to keep digging. Yeah. Like he even tells him, take a a few days off so your hands can heal and use the gloves. And Fenton's like, no, I refuse. Yeah. Fuck you. You want me to dig this fucking hole? I'm going to dig it right now. I sympathize with this attitude. (laughs) 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 Um, But Fenton is really like... Your God doesn't exist. This is all bullshit. You're murdering people. And now your psychosis has transitioned into what Fenton considers child abuse. I mean, he's not wrong. He's not wrong. I mean, he is giving, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with asking your child to dig a hole. Asking your child to dig a hole so that they get right with God. It's questionable. Right. Um, and Fenton says that he never he never prays the entire time. And at the end, the hole was as deep and dark as his hatred for dad's God. <laughs> very poetic. <laughs> but this movie is very good. And Matthew McConaughey has to carry a lot of the dialogue in this movie. And he does a really good job of it. And this is a an uncharacteristic personality for Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, this is a very serious, very, um, it's a different role for him. Right, and he looks like, his character in the FBI office looks very, like, frumpy. Yeah. Like, he's not the, like, sleek, polished. Matthew McConaughey. Or even, like, rough and tumble. He's not the surfer dude. Whatever. Yeah, he's not his, what we're going to, what is going to become Matthew McConaughey. Right. Um, I guess he was chosen because he's actually from Texas. So yes. he has a Texas accent. Gotcha. And they wanted somebody with a legitimate Texas accent because for those of us that or for those who are not from the South America. South, south of the United States. Of the United States. Um, there are regional southern accents. They're not all the same. Yeah. Um, and Texas has a specific southern accent. And you can't well, just and there's even multiple Texas accents. Yeah. Depending on what part of the state you're in. Right. And a lot of actors, when they do the Southern accent, they end up having like a Mississippi accent. Right. And that wouldn't have fit. We had to have the, if you want authenticity, you got to have the Texas accent. I believe Pill Paxton is from Texas as well. Probably. And I think Powers Booth was too. So we actually chose actors specifically because they would have at least a subtle Texas and Right. They're native. Yeah, they're native Texas speakers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But once we get our deep, dark hole, uh, we move the shed on top of it. And now we've got a killing room because we've been killing these Ba-ding! people in the shed. 
And now we have a dirt bottom cellar to kill them in. Right. Now we have a lot more space to move around. Right. So much and more room for this is a very homicidal activities. <laughs> There's so much room for homicidal activities. Um, but it's like a nine, eight, eight and a half to nine foot tall ceiling down there. Yeah, I think and, you told them ten feet deep for the and hole. They've only got like four by fours every what six feet or so. And then they have a wooden platform for the top. But somehow this dirt... The bracing to hold up the shed is fine. Yeah. To but hold the walls, in the walls, though. No, that dirt would settle. Yeah. Every time it rained, the wall, the top of the walls would start to erode. Yeah. You'd have to have something there to... A retaining right. wall. You'd have to have a retaining wall to hold the dirt up and straight. Yeah. And I guess Fenton says, God told us, don't... Or, God told Dad, "Don't worry. I'll I'll make it so it doesn't collapse. God will hold the walls up." Yep. Yeah. And you're left, of course, as you have been in this rest of this entire movie. Did we just not complete this set in a believable way, or is God actually holding up the walls? Don't know. We know Maybe by the end the of angels. it. We know, but we don't. We don't know right now. But finally, it is too much. And they're getting ready to do the choppy chop. And Fenton is like, too much. It's too much. And so that's when he leaves to go get the sheriff. Oh, that's right. And yep. he tells the sheriff the whole wild tale of what his dad has been doing. Oh, it's bothering me that I don't know who the third person is. I think it's just a guy. We don't, by the, the first two, we get like explicit how they got him. Then the third one, we don't. Yeah, I don't even remember what he looks like. What the third person looks like. But there's somebody there. It doesn't yeah. matter. Fenton leaves. He, this is the, the whole point of this. Is he goes to get the sheriff because this dad has a guy there. He's going to kill him. And if he tells the sheriff fast enough, he'll catch the him right handed. The sheriff can catch him. Yeah. yeah. Literally red handed. And so he tells the sheriff everything. And the sheriff's like, wow. Um, you're really, uh, that's, you're making up a lot of stories about your, your dad there. That's, that's not cool, Fenton. And Fenton's like, no, no, I swear, if you come and look in the shed, I can right, show you. I can show you. What, I know where the bodies him. are buried. I know where, like, I know where everything is. I can show you proof. And the sheriff's like, fine, come on, let's go. And so they go over to visit Bill Paxton. And Bill Daddy Meeks is already back in the house. And he opens the door and he's like, oh, what's going on? What's, what's happening here? And so the sheriff says, well, you know, Fenton has been telling some pretty tall tales about you. And he's like, oh, has he? And so they come in and they're sitting at the kitchen table and he's like, Fenton's just getting back at me for punishing him. Yeah. He's like, you know, the kids, these ages, they just, they make up weird stories and stuff. And yep. I really hate to think that he was down there telling everybody at the sheriff's office about this. Right. And the sheriff's like, Oh no, no, it was just me. I was getting ready to go down get a jump on the bass, get some fishing in. And uh, Bill Paxton's like, oh, so you were alone. Oh, okay, that's good. You're the only one who heard this story. All right, well, at least I don't have to, ha, 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 I don't have to hear it from anybody else. And he says, you know what? You could just go home and we this could all be done. It doesn't have to be this way, does it? It doesn't have to be this way. Right, this isn't does something that Fenton? has to be done. Does it, Fenton? And he just looks at him like, what I'm about to do is your fucking fault. Right. Because he's like, well, you know what? I might as well go check that check that cellar just yeah just in case and so when they go in there there's nothing there's not even blood in the dirt it's completely empty but bill paxton hits him on the back of the head with the axe 
Because just like the angel said, if Fenton went and told somebody, somebody had to die. Yep. Not somebody was the to sheriff. keep the secret. And Bill Paxton is finally really broken up. Right. He throws up. Yeah. He literally throws up because he's never killed anybody before. Right. Fenton's like, what the fuck are you talking about? You kill people all the time. And that's when he's like, no, I destroy demons. I don't kill people. And so they have to bury the sheriff and the other guy. And Bill Paxton is really broken up. Because in his mind, this was an innocent man, and he had to kill him. And it was because of Fenton that he had to do this. Because as we find out, the angel told him that Fenton was a demon, and that eventually he'd have to be destroyed. And Daddy Meeks does not want to believe it. And so everything that he's been doing is trying to manual labor the demon out of Fenton. Right. And finally... It, he tries something extremely drastic, which is he locks Fenton in the killing cellar. For like a couple weeks. Weeks. He says that he completely loses track of time. He doesn't get to eat. He only gets one cup of water a day. And he has to stay down there until he sees God. And so finally, he does. Because he goes a little bit crazy. Yep. Which leads me to ask the question, would Fenton have been a demon if he hadn't been with his dad when all of this happened? That's a very good question. What makes Fenton the demon? Because he was leading a very normal life up until this point. And he becomes the God's hand killer because he thinks he's doing God's work, but he's actually not. It's because he was driven mad by his dad's attempt to make him not a demon. Right. It's like in the Matrix when the Oracle says, and don't mind about the vase. Yeah. What vase? Crash. Yeah. What's really going to drive you crazy is if you would have still broken it if I hadn't said anything. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what it comes down to. But do you have to be the kind of person who has the proclivity to murder people anyway? I mean, if if you don't have that capacity in any way, is there anything that can force you to do it? Or do you have to have the pre- you have to be preloaded. Or like I listened to a really good um, uh, profiling podcast one time, and the guy said, you know, nature versus nurture is always the thing. Is it is a killer created by their upbringing, or are they created by who they are when they were born? And his argument was nature loads the gun and nurture fires it. Right. Like, so, I remember hearing uh, this story about this college professor who was studying um, sociopathy. And he he had done um, yeah he had a bunch of like students volunteer and they were doing like fMRI scans and then like a series of questions and seeing if they could diagnose sociopathy um, with fMRI and like uh, questions and so he also participated in the data collection um, but then everything all the data was anonymized and so he was reviewing the data. And he's like, oh, yeah, we have this many people, like this person who participated. I think they they also had data from like um, known positives, like sociopaths in prison. Yeah. And he's like, whoa, somebody in our like control group of anonymous like college students, whatever, fits the profile for sociopathy. And he was like, this is me. And he's like, well, yeah, I guess he like looked back at himself and he was like, 
yeah, I guess I do fit. But like, he's a good guy. Like yeah. he's a college professor. He has a wife and kids and he takes care of everything. And, you know, he does you know good stuff. It's just, he's like, what, what does that make me? Like what situation am I in? And he's yeah. like, okay. So, and that's part of like, this guy has, is predisposed to be a very dangerous person, but he never had the life experiences that would put him on that path. Yeah. Nature never fired the gun. Right. Right. Uh, and in this case, Fenton very much gets fired because his dad locks him in this basement until he sees God. And eventually he, he reaches enlightenment as far as he's concerned. And he's like, dad, I saw God. And so they let him out. And Bill Paxton is stoked. Daddy makes us stoked because that Fenton is finally on board. Right. Because as long as he got his son on board, he's never going to have to destroy him. His son's not a demon. He doesn't have to face that reality. So they go to get a demon. He's like, let's go do some father son bonding time. Let's yep. go find a demon to destroy from my list. It has to be on the list. You can't get them if they're not on the list, no matter how bad you think they are. If you don't get it, wait for the list, then it's murder. And so they go and get this guy. And this is the guy who's like cussing at his girlfriend. He's obviously a bad guy. He's the only one we've had so far who's very obviously a bad guy. Right. And they almost don't get him. Bill Paxton gets hit and they end up having to like hit him as he's right. running Fen away. Fenton knocks something over and distracts him while the guy's leaned over. So yeah. the guy looks up before Bill Paxton can hit him. Right. And so then Fenton has to hit the guy. Yeah. And they get him back. And this is Fenton's time to prove himself. He's going to destroy this demon. So he gets to wield Otis. And poor, poor Adam. We haven't even talked about Adam because poor Adam is like, Daddy, I'm, I believe you. I see the demons. I, I want to be the one that goes and catches him. I want to be the one that helps you destroy them. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Adam, that's great. So Fenton, <laughs> <laughs> poor Adam, is 100% on board, 110% on board this entire time. And of course, in our narrative, Adam is the bad guy. Right. Because according to Fenton, who is the one who is Matthew McConaughey, supposedly, um, Adam is the one who becomes the God's hand killer. So this is meant to feel like this one poor child is getting duped. Right. One child is remaining a skeptic and the other child is, right. is getting, getting caught up, getting brainwashed yes. by this, this psychosis that is happening. And it's very subtle the first time you watch it all the way through, but it's supposed to feel very unsettling adam's enthusiasm over the whole process right because like he's allowed to be free he doesn't have to dig a hole he doesn't get trapped in a basement he's really kind of an invisible character uh, because he's not problematic he's not the squeaky wheel and he really wants to be the one that destroys this demon but daddy is like nope fenton's gonna do it we need to set the hook for fenton yep so he gives fenton the axe fenton raises the axe and then turns and chops uh, Daddy Meeks. In the chest. Otis. Daddy. Otis, right to the yeah. <laughs> pow, right in the chest. <laughs> and Daddy falls back. And Adam is really broken up. And Fenton is, to his credit, sad as well. But um, he sees this as destroying a murderer. Right. And so then Fenton turns around and pulls the tape off of the, the demon's mouth. And he, I think he's about to let him go. But then here comes Adam with the axe yeah. and chop. Kills him. And so then they have to bury this guy and their dad. And their dad. And Fenton says, listen, Adam, 
if you do destroy me someday, which is really interesting language because it means that Fenton has accepted the fact that he's a demon. Right. And that Adam is the one who has been called by God and not Fenton. Right. And so he's he like, says, promise he- me if you have to destroy me, you'll bury me here in the Rose Garden. And yeah. Adam says, I promise. I promise. And, and I- so then we switch back to Agent Doyle and adult Meeks. And Doyle's like, that don't make no sense. Yeah, he's like, that's not, th- what, what? No, because. Why Why did he promise you that he would bury you in the Rose Garden, but you buried him? Well, you're right. That wouldn't make no sense unless the man standing in front of you is Adam, Adam. Meeks. Yeah. So, bo- 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 here's our twist. twist. And it is that Matthew McConaughey is Adam and has been Adam all along. So our non-squeaky wheel, who was entirely on board and possibly just brainwashed by dad's psychosis, is standing right in front of him. He's the one who killed, destroyed the last demon. And he's the one who destroyed Fenton because Fenton finally showed up on his list. Because the God's Hand yeah. killing, they were separated after their dad died. They went to separate orphanages. Yeah. And to get his attention, Fenton became the God's Hand killer. Right, and he used the name God's Hand because that's what out. they called themselves yeah. when they were kids. But Adam couldn't destroy him until he appeared on the list. And so finally Fenton appeared on the list, and we get the kind of heart-wrenching scene of Adam is typing away on a, or Fenton is typing away on a typewriter, writing a note supposedly because that's one of his serial killer shticks. Right. And Fenton appears behind him, and he just goes... Or Adam, I'm sorry. <laughs> They're switched for so long in the movie, it's hard to mentally switch them. Adam shows up behind him, and he's like, oh, good, Adam, you're here. Like, finally, this is going to be over. You're going to destroy me. Yeah. And he does. And he buries him in the Rose Garden. And Agent Doyle looks around, and there's quite a few graves in the Rose Garden. And Adam's like, yeah, so tell me about your mother. Weird that she got murdered and nobody ever, never caught her killer, huh? Yeah, it's really, wow. it's really strange. And uh, <laughs> Agent Doyle's like, "You're not going to get away with this. You introduced yourself, like you, you, you came to the agent, the FBI field office. You left evidence everywhere." And he's like, "Yeah, as Fenton, as Fenton Meeks, they're sure they're going to go after Fenton. Fenton is the serial killer, so they're going to catch the God's Hands killer. Isn't that great?" And as for me, I'm not worried. God will protect me. <laughs> and yeah, he ends up pushing him down in this grave and he touches and then, him finally. Uh, right. And then he leans over into the tall grass and there's Otis. Yep. And he touches him and we see that Agent Doyle murdered his mother, brutally murdered his mother. And we also find out that every single time that Dad Paxton. Meeks was touching the demons. Adam was seeing the same visions. So the woman at the very beginning with the running mascara, she had murdered her husband or murdered a lover of some kind. And the man that they caught by pretending the dog was under the car, yeah, he was a pedophile who had killed a little girl. And they were actually all bad people. Demons, one might say. And if you go back and watch the movie, you can see... Every time Bill Paxton touches one of the demons, Adam reacts. Yep. And that's one of the things that you have to whoop, 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 turn it off, rewind it, watch it again, knowing what you know at the end. Because there are so many little Easter eggs about the fact that this was all true all along. 
Bill right. Paxton really was called by God to destroy demons. And Fenton was a bad guy, and that's why he didn't. That's why he couldn't see what the others could see. And he ends up murdering Doyle. I mean, destroying Doyle. Destroying Doyle. And he's already in the grave, so he just covers Whoop. it over. Easy peasy. Lemon squeezy. Done. And then we cut to the FBI office. Right. And the FBI field office is in a tizzy. Right. Because Doyle is missing. Yep. And so the guy that was there, that but left early, uh, is... Who, who actually let Fen- who let Adam in. They're like, well, what do you mean you don't remember him? He's like, I can't. Every time I try to remember his name or his face, it's just gone. But he gave the name Fenton Meeks. We're like, well, we're following up on right, that like name right Right. Like he wrote, wrote it down in the visitor logbook. Yeah, right. and he's like, that sounds like a fake name, but we're following up on it right now. And then they get the security footage and they put the tape. The, the he's tape like, you got to, ch- the guy comes in, he's like, you guys got to see this. And so he pulls out the VHS and puts it in. Yeah. And just as Adam walks in the door and is walking across you know, the static, static horizontally across the screen over his face. And then as he walks through the frame, the static moves. Yeah, like so that someone you can never was deliberately see, blocking his face. So you can never see Adam's face. Which is supposed to, as a viewer, say, hey guys, God was protecting him. Literally, he hadn't he was never concerned or worried about getting caught because he never was going to. Right. And when they follow up on Fenton Meeks, sure enough, they find Fenton Meeks's house, but not Fenton, of course. Right. And they find the, the bodies garden. in the cellar. And they find yeah, because he was keeping his bodies in the cellar as trophies. And so they they say, is uh, is Agent Doyle down there? And they're like, well, he's not. But they found his bloody wallet. Yeah, they find his bloody FBI wallet. So he's considered the last victim of the Godsham killer. So Fenton gets away with it. Or Adam, Adam gets, gets away, away with, with it. it. And they actually go to Adam because Adam's next of kin for Fenton. Yep. And so the same guy that let him into the FBI field office goes in to talk to him because of Spoiler alert, he is the sheriff. sheriff. And that's of why Thurman. the sheriff was not in when Doyle called the sheriff. Right, because he was there talking to Doyle. And he sees his face, and we get this like zoom in. And then he's like, Oh, hey, I'm Agent. I forget what his name is. <laughs> it's like Greaves. He's like, Hey, I'm Agent Greaves. Uh, Agent. And then they shake hands. Yeah, and they shake hands, and he never. And- Adam Meeks, like the sheriff, holds his hand a little bit longer than yeah. you'd expect. And he's like, you're a good man, Agent. <laughs> yeah. And he's <laughs> like, well, just, I just wanted to tell you because you're, you know, before the, before the story broke. And he's like, yeah, I really appreciate you coming and telling me that. And if I find out anything about it, I'll be sure to let yeah, you know. If there's anything I can do to help, you just let me know. Yeah. And then the girl order who answers the phone comes out and she's pregnant. And they're clearly together. And yeah. he's like... God's will has been done. And she's like, praise God. And then he just stands there, like power posing to camera as it zooms out really slowly. And that's the end of the From movie. the sheriff's office of the town of Meat, Texas. Yeah. Meat and Thurman. Or, yeah. M E A T. And that's the end of the movie. And whoosh. And yeah. And that last like 10 minutes or five minutes of the movie. That's is, it. It's, that's yeah. the money shot, for sure. You can't. The whole re- if they didn't have that again, it's just a brutal. 
bad parent horror movie. But once you get that twist at the end, you're like, oh my God, seriously? God is actually <laughs> behind all this the whole time? And that's why I said you can't watch this, listen to this podcast, because you don't want that spoiled at the end. Pacing-wise and cinematography-wise, this movie feels very 70s to me. Mm-hmm. Which might be because it's set so much right, of it is set, of it is in, set the 70s, in the 70s. Yeah. But we get a lot of slow, pensive dialogue scenes and there's several like pan in pan out uh scenes that are very 70s right just like holding in the moment yeah or like someone's getting ready to deliver a dramatic line and so we go from like a still shot of the actor to all of a sudden zooming very slowly in on the actor yeah which is very 70s and I was reading an interview with Bill Paxton about some, he he said really there was only one thing he wished he could have done differently. And that's at the end when they when they ride up to the Rose Garden, when Doyle and Meeks get out at the Rose Garden, there's like a rock wall right in front of you. And that's supposed to be the foundation of the home that Fenton and Adam shared with their dad. Oh. But it's not obvious. Gotcha. And so he wanted that to be more obvious. And that was really the only thing he was like, otherwise, no. It was great. It's extremely low budget, considering what budget what movies usually use for a budget now. It's like eleven million dollars, right? And they did the all of the filming in eight weeks. Yeah, so it's a very elevator movie. There's effectively two characters. Um, there's the little kids in the back in the past who do a great job, and Bill Paxton who does a fabulous job. Um, this movie is. I think about this movie often when people are like, oh, what's a good psychological horror movie? I'm always like, oh, frailty. But, you know, it's one of those movies that I can never remember the name of because it's such a generic title. And I wonder if we'd had a more striking title, would this movie have gotten more traction? We tend to do a lot of movies where you're like, man, but that title. I was talking about it last night, and I was like, there's a movie, like the next podcast we're going to record. It's about this movie. I can't remember the name of the movie. Right. It slips your mind. Uh, it's God. Doesn't want us to watch the <laughs> It's God movie. protecting it's the God movie. It's God protecting the movie. Uh, but like Annihilation, I, it's a great movie. Totally, totally inappropriate title for it. Right. I, I know Kate was saying she didn't watch it specifically because it was called Annihilation and that sounded, she didn't want to watch stuff getting blown up. Right. Well, that's not what it's about at all. So Annihilation's a, a horrible movie. You could have called it The uh, the Shimmer, and it would have been a better movie. It would right. have been a better title for it. This is another one, Frailty, or like Immortality. We did that one. A lot of these movies get obscured or lost by time just because the title is not memorable. Right. And that's why I think maybe God's Hands would have been different. I guess in other languages, it wasn't Frailty. It was like... God's Hand or the God's Hand Murders or something like that. It was something more elaborate. Right. And frailty, Bill Paxton said, referred to like the frailty of understanding, but also like the frailty of the budget for the movie because <laughs> there was so much budget. They didn't really have a good reason why it was called frailty. I'm like, well, if you don't have a good reason, maybe you should do another one. Like eventually I'd love to do science fiction or fantasy. We could do Equilibrium. And that's another one where it's like, if it wasn't called Equilibrium, maybe other people would have seen it. Right. So this is definitely in the category of we're going to try for a pithy one-word title and it doesn't work uh, because I I literally have to look it up every time. I'm like, I have to look up Bill Paxton and then I have to go through and I'm like, oh, okay, frailty. Got it. Yep. Yeah. 
But I, rewatch this is it's not it's ugh, this is a hard one to rewatch. Right, just just because the movie is so intense. Yeah, like watching it again, it was enjoyable. Yeah, like I was I was in it. I was paying attention the whole time. Right, but it's. It's not like fun. No, no. <laughs> it pulls you along. Yeah, but it's not. Um, and yeah, I, I. After the movie's done, I'm like, whoa, that was an experience. Yeah, it's one of those movies. Every once in a while, I think, oh, I'd love to rewatch Frailty, but then I'm like, I don't know if I'm emotionally in a place where I can rewatch right. Frailty yeah. right now. You have to be in the right. You have to be like, it. I want to watch a good mindfuck movie, like The Game. Another yes. bad title for an excellent movie. <laughs> I had that movie on VHS. That's a good movie. And I've watched movie. it a bunch of times. It's a mindfuck movie. And that's what this is, too, where you're like, what just happened? And then you watch it again, and you're like, this movie was better than I gave it credit for the first time around, because yeah. they're, they're trying to obfuscate so many details for you. And when you watch it again, you're like, thank you. Thank you for putting that all in there for me. Now I can see it all. It's really good. Yeah. So rewatch, you have to rewatch it. So I guess rewatch score is pretty high. But are you going to sit down and watch this recreationally? Are you going to fold laundry to, <laughs> to frailty? No, I don't think so. No. Um, but it's a good movie. Maybe You know what? We have reviewed like one movie we didn't say was a good movie. And that was everything, everywhere, all at once. And it won like every single award it's possible to win for movies. So I am just going to leave you all with whatever that means about us and our taste in movies. I mean, I know who I am. I'm not, I'm not lying to myself. Right. I have not obfuscated the truth about reality for myself. I know I like bad movies, but this is actually a good movie. If you like horror movies, if you like psychological horror movies, this is a great movie. Um, if you like Bill Paxton, I love Bill Paxton. All right, P. Bill Paxton. So we have an Instagram. It's up over 110 followers. It's been fluctuating between 113, 117-ish, depending on how often I post, because bots will drop off if you don't post often enough. But uh, we do have an Instagram, and I keep it pretty well updated. And that's the best place to go and get news. And I do a Teaser Tuesday, which we always record these episodes before I do the Teaser Tuesday. So I can't say you're going to get a shout-out on the podcast. <laughs> uh, but maybe you could get out a shout-out on the next week's podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a good place to find us. We are the Strange and Beautiful Book Club on there. We also have a Patreon. Uh, we still have four Patreons. They are four loyal Patreons. So if that tells you anything about the quality of our Patreon discussion on Discord... Take that for what it is. Uh, It's the Strange and Beautiful Book Club on Patreon as well. I always put a link to the Instagram and the Patreon in the show notes. Uh, We have a website, which is still broke. I'm not in a place mentally or emotionally where I can fix the website right now. But it's up. And if you click on things, you can find out what the link is for. But you can't see what the link is for because the text. Yeah, the text and the background on the button are the same color. They randomly changed color. I don't really know how that happened. And since I'm not a web developer, I can't really unpack it. So I'm going to get to it eventually. And that's about it. Um, I'm working on merch. Eventually I'm going to work on merch. I don't know. My timelines are... I've seen you put some ideas together. My timelines are my own. So (laughs) I'll get there when I get there. Um, Much like most 70s movies, my pacing is extremely slow and pensive. But that doesn't make it a bad movie. But enriching. But enriching, exactly. So, I guess we'll leave it there. 
Remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.